0: This is the League Podcast Episode 427. I'm Matt Darcy.
1: And I'm John Hunt. Clay Inferno.
0: Alright, this is a very special League podcast, 427. A very special league podcast. Every episode, no matter what the number. We have
1: but a little more special this time around.
0: A little more special, yes. Special. It's like a holiday
2: gift that we're giving our listeners.
0: Yes. And ourselves. This is a our interview with author of the games master my life in the 80s geek culture trenches with gi joe dungeons and dragons and the transformers flint dilly who not only wrote that book but wrote a lot of our favorite childhood animated cartoons. shows.
1: cartoons uh, yeah uh, you name
2: it he's yeah. movies he's, movies he's... episode 421
1: transformers the movie that's right <laughs>
0: that's right go to his imdb page and if you lived through like the 80s and 90s
1: and today and, and now still living. Pokemon Go.
0: <laughs> that's right this guy he's very prolific and uh there's some great stories in this interview there's some great stories in the book and
1: buy my book
0: <laughs> he's very personable very smart very funny guy i'm i was so happy we got him and uh thanks to john hunt for yeah,
1: that guy's pretty good for- too
0: yeah, he's all right. He's all right. for the recommendation that we seek out the book and then seek out the man who wrote the book.
1: Yeah. And we did. And the interview pretty much just starts, so yeah. We'll so it. It. It's in Medea Reyes, as they would say.
2: In film school.
0: That's a good word. All right. Thanks for listening. Here is our interview with Flint Dilly. Hey, how you doing? How you doing oh, George, nice to meet you
2: honor pleasure thank you thanks for coming on man we
3: appreciate it oh i'm having fun this uh, it's a sunday when in covid when not much else is going on so here we are <laughs>
0: right right so
3: actually john sure? what oh, sorry
0: john is was the one who sort of uh spearheaded this he was the one you guys should read this book and you know uh, yeah, and all that i stuff. went
1: i went oh i don't have a web camera you guys said not don't bother oh <laughs> well,
0: i mean whatever it's just
1: you know well, just trust me. I'm a very handsome man. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I, went on, I went on a big like Flint Dilly interview binge like about a year ago, and then I found out that you had a book coming out, and I was like, I just I had to share with the guys because I enjoyed yeah. listening to your story so much that. Uh, oh, did that, you, you uh, did you do the audiobook version of it? I did, and uh, that was that was a lot of fun. It was a, a, there's a, there's a specific way that you speak that in interviews that was sort of funny to hear how it was translated through another person.
3: <laughs> okay, you're the only other person in the world that thought that. I totally agree, because I haven't actually read it since it came out, but I just looked to the audiobook. And uh, um, it was really bizarre to hear somebody else doing my thoughts and my story, but it wasn't yeah. my voice. <laughs> and the, the, but the, the fact is, I also realized why I'm not a voice actor. I mean, he really... <laughs> You know, he. I mean, he he really found nuances and things in there that you know I didn't even know were there. Yeah. Maybe they weren't there, and he just found them. You know, so in alternate universe is a version where I read it, but but it would not be
4: nearly as professional.
2: I have to say, I I'm on my third listen. I it was kind of you were talking about the quarantine, right. uh. But I when John suggested the book, I was like, yeah, this sounds this sounds like right up my alley. And I listened to it, and I was just very inspired. And then like I listened to it again. And then, knew you were talking today, and I was like, you know what? I don't need to watch another episode of Designated Survivor. Why don't I pop in that audio
4: book? <laughs> And like,
2: I was, I was like, really? It's just, uh, it's just, it was just a great, fun book, nice and it was exactly what I needed right now.
3: Well, yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, I know. You know, so it's really funny. That's kind of the funny note that I think it hits is, is it was always supposed to be about a golden age. You know, I mean, you know, it's just, you know, it was was like, I mean, it started out where I was sitting, I was working for a company called Niantic, and I was sitting in an apartment in Paris, you know, where our new game was coming out on uh, that weekend, it's like, this thing bombs, we're we're dead, (laughs) and, uh, uh, you know, and what should I do? Oh, I'll start writing a book. Cause, but I, Cause I had 150 pages of interviews, you know, text interviews. Mm-hmm. And so I just dragged them into a Google docs folder and I started, no, this won't be so hard. And then I basically wrote the book on Facebook. You know, I just put <laughs> a chapter, and see what people said. They'd ask more questions. I'd answer that question. And then there was, a, there was a serious editorial product, you know, you know, thing after that. But I realized, I basically had written a draft of it before I realized yeah, this is really about, it's a golden age and what a great time could be. And it's something that almost can't exist now, but I, I want it to. Yeah. How do you bring that back? I mean, it was just, everything was so damn exciting and fun, you know? And, and it's not just because I was young, because I mean, I was young, you know, before the book began, it was not exciting and fun. You know? <laughs> and after, after the book was over, it, actually the period after that was kind of just as exciting. It was just a lot different.
0: One thing I thought was I mean, the only problem I had with the audiobook was I, he pronounces it Dr. Arkville. That was yeah, yeah, why yeah. I mean, there
3: was there, there were some pronunciation <laughs> problems with friends of mine and they tried. It you know it wasn't their fault. You know, they That's they tried a bunch of things. How do you pronounce this name? And I'd send them a phonetic pronunciation. <laughs> um, but you know, they you missed one every yeah, I know. There was there were things you just, you know, blew past, but yeah, <laughs> it's okay. I mean, okay. You know, if, if it were the perfect book, there'd be no reason to ever write another one. So I guess no, no, You know, uh, it's good. Oh, is that? Uh, are you going to write
0: another one? That would, that would uh, yeah, I might.
3: I might write one about. I was talking to a friend about about the period right after that was, which is when I really went into video games and stuff like. Well, I was writing movies for Steven, which is what you know where that book ended. And I was, I, it would. The next period was simultaneously my Hollywood screenwriter period and my introduction to real video games. So that oh, was a pretty cool period.
0: I mean it it definitely was. That's okay, so we should yeah, should we do the official st- 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 we're gonna yeah. do the official start oh, of recording sorry, and then you can tell all these stories yep. uh, again. <laughs> we'll just we'll act like we haven't heard them. We're like yeah. oh, okay. or just
1: or just splice this part in.
0: Yeah, I, had,
2: just, I had I just recorded that, so we could just you could just move on to the in, inter introductions and then uh, we'll just keep it all together.
0: All right. All right. But really quick. So you said you have auctions you want to. uh...
3: Oh, yeah. And I've been doing that. Uh, You know, well, you're on my Facebook page, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: What I was doing was, uh, you know, just oddly enough, it was right after I got done doing the book. Um, Basically, I have this very large storage hat, this very large storage area in my office. And so for the last 35 years, because i lived in the same place for 35 years, right? I bought it while I was doing it. It's in the book. Um, (laughs) and, uh, but I sort of added on to it, but the, uh, I had this huge storage area, so I never had to sort through anything or, you know, I mean, it's not really like I'm a hoarder. It's just, I'm lazy. And, you know, I'd be like, I finish a project or I'd be like, oh yeah, it's time to clean off my desk, whatever, throw everything in a box, box into the, into the storage. And then finally that day came when the storage was full. And my wife and I agreed, okay, we're going to clean out the storage. And uh, we we estimate there are 140 boxes in there now. What? Probably like 15 of them are like Christmas, you know, tree light, lights, stuff like that. But you know, there there were about 120 boxes that were just my stuff. Um, you know, I, just from my life. You know, the, you know my you know my mother before she died. You know, like just you know, decided. Well, I got to clean out my place and just sent me like, you know, everything down to my like, <laughs> you know, you know, grade school, did transcript records. There were like spelling oh, yeah. tests in second grade in there. I mean, she just like, you know, yeah, so this is genetic that I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, it's, and it was right after, I mean, you know, I, the book came out in July. I finished, I finished writing the book and yeah, right as COVID was beginning, right as the last meeting I had with anybody before lockdown was uh, my editor came over um and you know so the first couple of weeks of that and then uh you know I started doing you know the, uh, you know, I started doing promotion stuff for the book before it came out and then it came out in July and then in in August um it, the my wife and I put a day on the calendar when we were going to clean out storage this is a very long way of getting to the end. <laughs> right. I love it love it th- that day came and my my son was going out of town. So we figured, well, we'll get it done in a week. So we start moving out boxes. And pretty quickly I realized this is not, this is not a week. You know, <laughs> it, it's you know, it's like you have a scrapbook box. Every single object in there was something at one time I thought I ought to keep. So that means every time you're looking at an object, and there were thousands of them. I have to decide keep, throw, keep, throw, keep, you know, and right before I did it, I read that book about the the joy of uh, the joy of tidying up.
0: Oh, yeah, the Marie, Marie, Kondo. Marie Kondo. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: okay. Well, you guys we already do that with our com- it.
2: comics all the
3: time. Yeah. I knew nothing about that, okay? I knew nothing about the book or anything. It just happened to fall into my life at the exact moment I was starting this project. And I read it, and it was the thing is, if you hold this and it doesn't give you joy, get rid of it. And I found yeah. out how much stuff doesn't give me joy, doesn't <laughs> give me joy, you know, gives me joy. And But anyway, in the course of all this, I unearthed all the boxes from the the Games Master era, because when I wrote the book, I wrote the book from pretty much pure memory. You know, I thought that I did not have journals from that period, because I kept a journal ever since I was seventeen, right? Pretty
2: yeah, much gonna, every day. I was going to ask you about that because you mentioned it in another interview I saw. That, have you been journaling since then, like every day? I, that's a, that's a great source for for a book, you know.
3: Yeah, oh yeah, I, I did for when I was a seventeen and some, like you know. Freshman English class. They had us keep a, do it, doing it, and start doing a journal, and I just kept kept it up ever since.
1: Uh, so I you mean, passed, you passed every day. That, that class, then.
3: <laughs> what? Nah,
1: you, you've really taken that class, and uh,
3: yeah, that, I took that. That was a shockingly <laughs> important class. You never know what's going to change your life. I, you know, I can't forget what class it was. I can't forget who the teacher was. I can't. I can't remember any of that, but I can <laughs> remember that i kept a journal ever since. I'd have to go back to the first one and see it. Uh, but anyway, so. Uh, um, yeah, I wrote the book just from memory because what I thought was that, that basically that period of the 80s is what's known as the digital dark age. You know, when I was at Google later, you know, they, they'd refer to the 80s because everybody had a different kind of computer. You're working on K Pro or, uh, you know, Timex Sinclair. I was working on Deckmates and I, I had the first uh, Apple Mac. I mean, like, you know, the. The, hey, you got 3,000 bucks, this uh, Mac kind of fell off a truck, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so we couldn't buy you know, a friend of mine, gave me They you know, sold me one that fell off a truck. And it, I mean, it worked perfectly well and, and all that. So uh, And then remember, there's no internet, so it's, it's not like, you know, you just install your software and you're going, right? <laughs> and uh, But the Mac was not really functional as a writing tool, but it really looked cool. So I wrote some journal stuff on that, most of it on my deckmate, <clears throat> which to this day... I, I have the most affectionate attitude towards first as a screenwriting thing. The programs are infinitely more sophisticated now, but that thing, you know, that's why I did all the Transformers, all the GI Joe, everything in the Games Master was written on a deckmate. and I was strong affection. Wow. But now, I, you know, I what I thought was, oh, I, you know, I, I'd have to get these discs translated, you know, and the, you know, it's basically these are steam powered computers. Anyway, no, I mean, yeah, it's a long time ago, and uh, um yeah you know, so i thought i would never i just lost my journals from that period so i just wrote the book from memory and it was shockingly easy i mean when you when you start remembering something and writing about it all of a sudden you remember one thing or one person and 10 more memories fall out of it and then they all begin to weave together and that period weaves together really well because it was a very coherent period in some ways and and very linear period i mean given that the book is really is totally chronolo- chronological but it doesn't feel like it because it bounces back and forth but that was Accurate. You know, I'd be writing Transformers in the day and doing some DD thing, at, you know, in the afternoon and, you know, doing whatever else in the, in the night. Um, but anyway, so, and and then what, you know, a lot, I mean, most of the people involved are still alive. And so I'd send them copies of it or they'd be on my Facebook page and, you know, I'd be saying things like, hey, do you remember it this way? And, <laughs> you know, and, and so, you know, like Luke Gygax is there and he was certainly there for all the DD mansion stuff and Ernie remembered some of it. And, uh, Penny Yukovich remembered some of it. And, and so, you know, that, that got pretty right. And then, you know, buzz was around for, you know, we were talking about the Sunbow stuff and Ruby Spears and all that. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, a bunch of people helped me with it, but they pretty much were, you know, Linda Wolverton knew a lot of the later stuff. Uh, and, uh, Frank Miller remembered some of the stuff, you know, and, uh, so, you know, I knew it was pretty accurate but I didn't know how accurate until I actually found my journals from that period. It turned out I would printed them out and they were sitting right in the box where they were supposed to be. Of course I could not have found the box. That was after I wrote the book and I reread <laughs> it and, and every single thing was shockingly accurate. I mean, as far as the order of things happen, I mean what you write about in your journal has almost nothing to do with what a fan would find interesting 30 years later, 35 years later. Okay. You know, it's like, I'm getting flushed by some you know, some woman, you know. That no fan cares about that, right? That was <laughs> great interest to me.
4: Uh,
3: but <laughs> um, but uh, um, yeah, you know, I mean, it, you know, it, it, it you know, it, the incidents that were actually written down. There was only one that was inaccurate, and that was, and I can't remember the chapters even still in the book. Is I remember my my agent wanted to shaking. it out. That's the other thing is you forget what's in a book and what's not because. You make all these decisions at the last minute for, for what to leave in and what to leave out. You don't. When I'm listening to the audio book, I don't remember what's not there, you know. Uh, and that was a night at the Magic Castle with uh, Charlie Lippincott and uh, Joey Thompson, and and I had thought Gary Gygax was there, and, but I couldn't remember what he did. I just remember him kind of sitting there, you know. And the truth is, when I reread my journal, there was no mention of his being there. So, yeah, I mean, I, everybody else that was there is somebody who you would expect Gary to have been there, but he was probably just out of town or somewhere else. So there's no, so I, I, I had a wrong memory of Gary having been there. And then the thing I'd forgotten about until I read, met, read Gary's blog after he died was the meeting we had with Orson Wells. I don't know how you forget a meeting with Orson Wells, <laughs> but I, I had, which was also at the magic castle and, you know, and, and, uh, and then, uh, yeah. And I mean, but even now I know what we met about. But I I don't actually remember the meeting, but I remember you know working with him on Transformers extremely well.
0: Yeah, yeah. well that's described yeah. very very vividly in the book. Just him sort of in the wheelchair and everything, and it's 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 a little. I mean, I guess you knew because he died like a month or, or yeah, like, a week, a, couple of months, a right? week, later. a week after oh, recording. Wow. I mean, that
1: well, you guys really <laughs> must have pushed him.
4: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, we we pushed
3: him hard. No, what's hmm. funny is if you watch. Um, uh, there's a, there are two films. One's called The Other Side of the Wind, and the other one is it's a documentary about making The Other Side of the Wind. It was Orson Welles' last movie, but it was finished by Peter Bogdanovich last year. Um, uh, there's a documentary. They'll oh they'll will love me when I'm dead, or I love me when I'm gone, or something like that. I think it's the name of the documentary. And and Peter Bogdanovich was talking about how the last conversation he ever had. I think it was Bogdanovich. Uh, last conversation you ever had with Orson Welles is Orson Welles says, you know what I did today? I played a toy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that no, was a week before he died.
0: Wow. I mean. It, it
3: wasn't was... really much of a surprise. I mean, I can't remember where I put it in the book, but I remember saying to Hilde, oh, I'm glad we got him this week. You know, uh, you know, because he just, you know, he, he was kind of wheezy. And, you know, he, he was in a wheelchair and then he's in a walker and then he's able to walk a few steps. But uh, while well, they were adjusting all the microphones and everything. I was talking to him about the uh, the Mercury Theater because I've been listening to cassettes of the Mercury Theater stuff, mm-hmm. which is really incredible. And I think he thought it he thought it was kind of cool. And I now can relate to this better, you know, that some kid that was like you know twenty seven years old or, or whatever I was probably I was probably thirty at that point. Um, you know, was uh, knew about that stuff.
0: Well, there were all kinds of rumors that like he didn't get to finish it or whatever, but I guess that's not true. No, or that's right? not true. he, he finished totally it. finished it. But
3: uh, I mean, maybe there was some pickup line they wanted. You know, they wanted for Unicron three months later, and they had somebody do it. I mean, I, I would couldn't testify that wasn't true. Sure. But he got all the way through his session, and uh, he in his session he did everything we had written for him.
0: Wow. Uh, it's
1: not it's not like there was a ton of dialogue written for him that you couldn't right. get that done in a day, yep. I would imagine.
3: No, no, it was it was it was a very I think it was a half day session.
0: But and as you described, there's very little in animation that doesn't get it's not like throwaway scenes or or you know, different no, angles or different right. right. It's animation. So
3: you go watch Carson Wells's final film; it is the exact opposite form of production. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that he went out. It, it's uh, other side of the wind, which is simultaneously one of the most amazing and worst things I've ever seen in my life. But just <laughs> for film life and for just understanding how the world works, that film is important at so many different levels. It's Well worth your time to watch it.
0: And you are a film guy. I know. Uh, I was a. I was a film major as well. So I mean, I was obviously kind of. There was a lot of. I saw some parallels obviously I was I'm not quite as, as successful as you but uh, well you exactly not as
1: old as I am there's still time <laughs> <to start laughs> oh, Thank, you. Careful, thank
0: you well I yeah I appreciate that can we go back a little bit to the?
1: Yeah, we didn't just, even finish packing your stuff away, uh, going through your stuff yet. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm kind of. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm no, no, that's, right. what, that's what I've always enjoyed about your interviews is okay. the way they kind of go <laughs> off on tangents, but eventually, like three hours later, you come back to the point. But I just kind <laughs> yeah, of. Yeah, but... yeah.
3: There's a reason I do <laughs> nonlinear uh, alternate reality games. Uh, uh, no, anyway. So what? Long story. We also discovered that. The floor had rotted out in the storage area, and and we were going to lose half our storage area when we rebuild it. It was oh. just a <laughs> really nightmare. Shabby. So I had to throw out half my stuff. That was that Dang. was basically it. Yeah. I mean, we got a storage unit off site, but I wasn't going to get two storage units. And I, it became this this journey to the underworld. I mean, if we're doing Joseph <laughs> Campbell journey here, <laughs> this was my trip to the underworld because literally, you're seeing the ghosts of your whole life. You know, I'm looking at, you know, birthday cards from dead people and, and, you know, like it's literally like your life passing before your eyes in a random slow motion manner. And so I'm throwing all this stuff out, but what I'm finding that is of interest to, you know, and I'm, I, at this point, you know, I'm just like, this is a pretty good approximation of elves, but I've taken pictures of everything that I think, you know, people on my Facebook page would find interesting. And and I was kind of fascinated by what they found interesting you'd, you'd like, you know, I, I posted a, I don't know, a, a press kit for the Transformers, the movie, you know, that I found that, you know, and like people, you know, they were like 350 likes. And it's like, really? For a press <laughs> kit? I mean, this was something I, it, that I'd found in a box. I mean, obviously what had happened is my assistant Hilde, you know, she, she ran of the office. She was not my assistant at that point. Later she was, she was my assistant, but, uh, yeah, um. You know, she probably walked by the office, flicked it over her shoulder, skids across my desk, falls on the floor, sits there for, you know, six months. Then when I'm cleaning out the office, I throw it in a box, sits in the box, cut to, you know, to 2020, and I open the box and say, oh, here's a press kit for Transformers, the movie. I mean, I would have had no reason to read it. I mean, why? I mean, it wasn't like I was unaware of what the script was. I was not <laughs> unaware of the movie. You know, and you know, but nevertheless, they distribute. But you know, I feel like fans are going crazy over that, and you know, and then I, I'd also, when I left the office, I looted the uh, you know the posters we actually had hanging in the office at the time, you know, which have a certain kind of provenance value, and uh, and then you know various and sundry toys. I mean, the single most to me valuable object, and that, here's the, the brutal lesson: is that what's valuable to fans is not necessarily what's valuable to you. Me, <laughs> the most valuable object hold on I think I can find him uh, oh, oh, all
4: is.
3: right I'm touching him I just have to pull him out of this awkward place in the drawer I'll probably further break him this is the Megatron I was oh, I had wow. him when I was writing the movie Whoa. and he's it not put together it's falling apart he's lost his barrel it's called Walter PBk Megatron
0: like yeah, they don't I make Megatron that. as a gun anymore, right?
3: Because yeah, know yeah, uh, he's not a gun anymore. But he yeah. was James Bond's gun in in
0: 1985.
3: Oh, and yeah. uh, I, I mean, when I found that, it like just brought back. Just touching this thing even now brings back the experience of writing that movie. Because I'd be sitting there, I write myself in the corner and try to do Megatron, get frustrated. <laughs> I mean, it's broken for a reason,
4: and. Uh, <laughs> And
3: I mean, like that is the kind of thing, you know, that is worth nothing to any fan. That's That that to me is like stuff that's really valuable, whereas the stuff fans love is stuff that, you know, it's like, you know, press kit. No, OK, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's a totally different thing. You know, I mean, you know, that's what that's what's kind of interesting about it.
1: Well the, but, the fan experience and the creator experience are completely different. So uh, it's sure. understandable why you're uh, you have a connection to that and the fans would be like, "Oh my god, this 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 kit it reminds me of my childhood."
3: Absolutely. And and the artwork on on one of the Transformers kits and and one of the GI Joe things I have is, is just pristine. And it it brings you back. I mean, that even with me brought me back to Wow, this is what it felt like when I started on GI Joe. This is it. This is what it looked like. This, you know, and that was obviously something. Probably Steve Gerber gave me when when you, I started working on the project. You know, it's like, all right, you got to know about GI Joe. Here you are. I mean, GI Joe to me was just effortless. I mean, that was the easiest project I ever worked on in my life. Whereas Transformers was always hard. Yeah, you know, I, 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 mean, I, I don't think my work on one was better than on the other, but I mean, they were just at the opposite end of hard.
1: There was hmm. a very uh quirky style to the episodes that, that you wrote. My wife and I watched the Games Master episode a few weeks back, and we're like, this is such a strange episode. But we were having such a good time throughout it, the whole thing, and, and <laughs> laughing at it. Like, after, after listening to the audiobook, I, I got more of a sense of. What you guys were doing in terms of like your humor and and the little jokes that you were putting in there that maybe kids weren't getting, but adults would catch. And, and that has been the, the, the most fun that I've had in revisiting a bunch of the old episodes of Joe and Transformers.
3: Oh, well, yeah, I mean the title the games master for the book came from my crowdsourced on my Facebook page and that got them <laughs> the most votes so I went with that. I mean, I got my agent for for the book on the Facebook page. I got my publisher on my Facebook page.
4: Oh, that's so I cool.
3: mean, yeah, you know, I I was crowdsourcing the editing of the book, you know. I mean, it, it, well, it was, I I was just doing a, you know, a kind of new media experiment while I was while I was doing it, which which they taught me a lot, but they, yeah, oh, well, so the final thing on the closet. So then I, all of a sudden I have this stuff hanging around. And, you know, the, what you have to understand is I, I have a wife who has zero geek in or whatsoever, None, <laughs> not a zero. And, like, you know, I'm getting my, my Unicron, you know, my $600 Unicrons coming in. And, and it, will be, it, it will be, that's the one thing. There is no, in the office now, we've totally redone the room. there, But there is not one piece of geek memorabilia. I don't think there's anything from this stuff.
0: Yeah, What's I just got Megatron in the drawer there. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
3: Oh, yeah, no, know. There's hidden <laughs> geek memorabilia. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: hidden
0: geek memorabilia. That'll be next covert
3: Over geek memorabilia. But, uh, yeah, I mean, well, well, we just sort of went with the theme of, like, old family stuff. Like, I got I a picture of my father shaking hands with Richard Nixon, you know, that stuff. I mean, who, you know, who has that? Uh, but... Uh, um, you know, and, and like, you know, they you got these secret society posters up here. That's actually actually from my grandfather's fraternity. You know, I mean, just, like, weird. It was, like, weird family stuff is what ended up on the wall. Um, there'll be
0: a Unicron back there somewhere? Uh, there'll be a
3: Unicron on the table over here. I, I I imagine Unicron will have a four-week life expectancy to live on the table. At which time, <laughs>
2: Enjoy uh, it uh, while <laughs> it lasts. Yeah. yeah,
3: Unicron will be in some warehouse in El Segundo, and that'll, that'll be it for Unicron. But, they, uh, you know... Um, the uh and so anyway you know in the course of this i just decided you know and because that's the other thing you hit i mean you hit a certain age where you realize okay this is never going you know no gi joe posters i always thought someday i'll have an office i remember ray bradbury's office he had like every cool thing you could possibly imagine in it he had some of his house too wow. uh, but uh you know you know and and I was I was thought I'll have an office like that well that that's not going to happen this lifetime so you know you know they and and even if it did the stuff I'm not going to sell would would fill fill my imaginary geek office but I just thought, I am just going to sell it I mean I gave a lot of it away to people that just deserve it. I gave George Joe Tribal the Transformers the movie poster just cuz he's Joe Tribal and he deserved it um uh, <laughs> but uh um you know, and then and then someone I'm going to sell it just to, to finance. That was a deal I made with my wife. We thought this was all garbage. And so my <laughs> thrill of doing the auctions is proving to her every day. Oh, yeah, we just got another five thousand dollars. Yes, it's not garbage. Huh?
4: <laughs> wow,
3: yeah. Yeah. It's it's the it's one and only time I ever want an argument.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know it's amazing about you is just like throwaway lines where you're like oh ray bradbury's office like we could do an hour and a half interview just talking <laughs> about the fact that you were over at ray bradbury's office or that you went to um the the publisher famous monsters that, that did your father hire him was that the story No, about, no, well, of uh, for sacraments
3: uh, both the cases, both those cases, my first contact with them was through my dad. Dad and Ray Bradbury were friends. Uh, Ray Bradbury wrote the, he was the ultimate Buck Rogers fan, okay? My grandfather oh, created wow. Buck Rogers. And mm-hmm. so um, uh, my dad had him write the introduction for his book, Recollected Works of Buck Rogers, they did in 1969. And they just got to be friends. And like, you know, all next thing I know, Ray Bradbury's giving me writing advice, you know, because, you know, somewhere at the end of high school, I decided I wanted to be a writer. And it's like, wow you know because he was my hero yeah,
1: that's uh, that's a good <laughs> that's a good guy to be giving you writing advice so
3: during covid i reread sorry ignore that phone that's this annoying phone we have that only gets people trying to sell us life insurance or our front door gate it's yeah. amazon front door it's you know anyway but like, I answer. Anyway, that's just one of the like the old vestigial things that hangs around in your life you know for no reason um and, but anyway so uh um yeah with Bradbury yeah you know he, I mean he was incredibly you know helpful and and all that and I went over to his office one time it was a perfect office it was up at the top of a building I think at the corner of Beverly and I want to say Wilshire in Santa Monica I'd be wrong about Beverly but that or it, it could be Rodeo one of those two the you know, streets in Beverly Hills and it's a white building it's got a gold top it's an art deco building I mean it looks like Looks like simultaneously, it looks like a futuristic building from Buck Rogers is what it yeah but, you know, Figure it was built in the twenties. Okay, <laughs> yeah, but it's great. It was great, and he was in exactly the right office, and he had all the stuff around. Just kind of standing around, going, oh wow. Um, no, Bradbury. I mean, but I, during <laughs> COVID, I reread Illustrated Man, and I realized that there's one book where every story is absolutely hard coded in my brain. That's it. I mean, I like. I, I didn't realize I was as familiar with it as I was, but I like, remembered everything. And I remember what so it was like listening to a Beatle album or something, you know, what song comes next. You know, it was
0: like that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, you definitely have a legacy here there, as well. I mean, like, yeah, like your family and friends and everybody. You, you have a lot. One thing, we're all comic book guys too. So, like, yeah. you know, we hear, you know, you hear Frank Miller and you hear like, you know, uh, Mauve Wil- Wolfman. Yeah, or, oh, and- yeah,
3: Mauve. Yeah. Mauve. You know. Oh, Mauve. I mean, what a what a fabulous guy he is! I did I did a show with when the book came out. I was doing just did a limited series of Games Master shows. I had Marv on there. Okay, Marv, is, that guy falls off the tree. Totally unique. I mean, he's years old when he's an editor at either Marvel or DC. I can't remember which. I said what it was, and then Marv corrected me. As a matter of fact, he corrected, it in corrected in the manuscript. It's correct in the manuscript. He shows up in my life, you know, with this flood of—it's in the book—with this flood of uh, of comic book guys. That mostly were Steve Gerber opening the floodgates, right? But Marty Pasco was around a lot, and he was another New York comic guy. And Roger right. Slifer was, you know, um, and uh, um, so you know that all of a sudden that's when there's a scene in there. We got it's mobs, mobs, unfortunately <laughs> named Porno House. But it was. We'd gone to this place. It looked like that from Boogie Nights. I mean, you know, <laughs> stuff, bad stuff was happening there in '67 that, in the summer of love, and the, that, in the hot you
2: not.
4: Know. That was so funny
2: because I did a panel with him like a couple of years ago, and then I, I I stumbled across that part of the part of the book, and I was like, whoa, holy, holy crap!
3: <laughs> well, Baron Marv, Marv, Marv was involved in none of this. It was just our impression walking around it. But it was pretty. I mean, everybody, everybody I was there with the party was like there looking around. I remember because that was when I first knew Frank. I mean, I, you know, we were friends at that point, but I didn't know him obviously not nearly as well as I would know him later. And uh, we showed up and Lynn was there. And Lynn had, at that point, had blonde hair because she just decided she, I mean, had brown hair because she decided you were treated like stupid if you had, boy you blonde. <laughs> and she's a colorist. She knows that stuff. Yeah, exactly. So she was there. Linda Wilburton was there. I remember we we're all looking around the thing, you realizing this just looks like a set from Boogie Nights. And uh, that was the first time I met Howard Chaik in there. Um and and you know, yeah, and that was the far, the first that wasn't the official Wolf Manor, which would, you know, which would be his second place. But that was that was the first place. I, I'm not can't remember whether I met Marv there. I think I'd met Marv before that, because Len and Marv came out together. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and then Marv basically replaced me as story editor on Transformers when I went to Indium Noids and Visionaries. Mm. I mean, I was oh, still a producer on Transformers, so I was around for the whole third season, but he then, you know, was in there and we were jamming ideas for how to bring Optimus back because they were mad at us, like, you know, that was our idea. And, <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: Uh, you mentioned uh, in humanoids and and visionaries, i I, I wouldn't mind talking about that for a quick second because I I'll talk, I'll talk I was about a that. huge Matt, fan.
1: Matt and myself. we were just yeah. like way into visionaries is, when we were younger.
0: yeah well, it, Visionaries
3: is it loomed up large in my in my mind when I was cleaning out my storage because now I mean, you know I was seeing all that stuff again. like I, it's a very difficult series to see. Okay, you know, because there's not an English version of it. You know, I mean, i I may have some VHS tapes of it. I don't. Yeah, know. I
1: found a few episodes on Daily Motion, I think, and that's. Uh, yeah,
3: no, I mean, somebody I just do Jolly Roger, him, because I don't even know who owns it. And <laughs> yeah. at that point, I mean, that that I would argue certainly was the most beautiful series we ever did. It was the best animated. And that mm. was DMS. and they were, you know, they they were those guys were amazing. And, and I think it was sort of all of us at the peak of our powers, knowing that the era was over. I and mean, by the time, you know, when I started writing it, we were still, you know, rolling. And when I got done, I was, I was working for Steven. I mean, I remember I'm, you know, you know, sending off the script. You now I've had over to Amblin, you know, so it was like, it was like the transitional series for me. And, and I love visionaries. I mean, that, you know, I, that, that in humanoids and visionaries are two the two properties. I still have unfinished business with, <laughs> I mean, with, with transformers, you know, Chris Metzen and I did a, did a trilogy in, you know, just a few years ago, like in the twenty eighteens. I think it was 2015. Uh, we started in 2011 cause he and I were working, he was creatively at a company called blizzard and he did was they do, you know, world of warcraft and starcraft and diablo and we were working on a game called diablo and one day he turns around and he said hey you want to write a transformer graphic novel you know with me it was going to be a 22 page graphic novel right and it's like all right yeah, i'm in you know i haven't written Transformers since i wrote the script for the first game and then an aborted game Treyarch was trying to do or one of the activision companies was trying to do uh you know somewhere in like the late 90s i would guess but anyway um so I said, yeah, and that's when I learned the real lesson. And the lesson I learned was I may have written all this stuff back in the 80s and all that, and you know, but, A, that was at that point 20 years earlier, or, you know, 25 years earlier, and, and also at a certain point you don't own it. You may have written it, but you don't own it anymore, and the fans own it. Right. Characters, you know, if <laughs> I'd have some, you know, character, you know, and, you know, I'd get, you know, the piece of plastic, you know, you know, in the mail and OK, he's going to be dipstick. All right. Yeah. So then, you know, i I'd a bio for dipstick and, you know, I'd write up stuff for, you know, for, you know, you know, crankshaft or, you know, whoever our character was. And and, you know, and I would I would think, you know, that I that I created and that character. That is not the case the fact is the fans own it after a little while and you know they don't want you want to hear your opinion of what dipshit and, and you know and, uh, <laughs> they yeah. Right,
0: they have their own opinions. they have they their mean. own
3: opinion their opinion is more valid than mine and i realized that both chris and Libio knew transformers far better than i did at that point yeah. <laughs> and we're doing those books and it took me a while to catch up it took me a while to figure out a that you know you know 25 years is a long time and b The world changes and see to catch up to where i could work with them you know effectively and be useful to them
1: do you think if the uh, internet had been around when you were writing back in the 80s these shows that that would have affected your writing like would you have been reading forums or whatever and and seeing because i i work uh as a a colorist and letterer and i do a lot of work in manga translations where we're we take the, the Japanese version and make it look as though it was always published in English. And I just, it took me a couple of years before I started going online and reading what people had to say about it. And I was like, Ooh, that was a mistake. I'm never doing that again.
3: <laughs> hey, well, it's, uh, that's, a really, that's a great question. Because, I mean, we operate in a vacuum. And the, but the thing you have to remember when we we're doing the Sunbow stuff, you know, and that is we did 65 episodes of Transformers one year and 65 episodes of G.I. Joe that's 130 episodes and that's not talking about muscle machines and humanoids visionaries which we were developing at that point we had no time for anything we didn't have time to pay attention to the comic books we had time to get notes we had time to go to recording sessions we had time to go over storyboards we had time to write we had time to do that and then whatever free time i had i was going up to dungeon dragons learning how to design games and hanging out with those guys because that was a really great outrageous place and and so i don't think i would have had time for the internet the one experience we had like that which was a dress rehearsal for all the darker sides of social media was steve gerber's bulletin board mm-hmm. and right, it was right. great for, for no reason other than for us to upload scripts and with our wicked fast i think we had a i think i had a 712 baud modem at that point you know I mean? it took like you know, 15 minutes to upload a 60 page print. you know now it just goes flying out as a pdf and you don't even see it go you know then you know it was like and while you're waiting for it to upload you go into the bullet into the i guess the chat room was it wasn't exactly a chat room it was more it would be more like email but it was very public so it functioned more like facebook and, man, that got ugly. I mean, yeah, you know, we, we we saw what was going to happen with social media back in the mid-'80s, and we should have known. Well, we
1: I wish it had said something back then. Yeah, back to right. All
3: of us. I, I, I wish we known, but it was all people. I think it's in the book, Candy Montero.
1: It right? is. Everybody
3: very was agent. Candy said, you guys got to stop doing that stuff. That stuff's poison. And and she was right. Yeah.
0: that There's a whole book there, I think. That's like a whole book.
3: Oh, yeah, I was uh, – <laughs> <laughs> yeah, little I know. I'd like end up, you know, about twenty years later working at Google, and and you know, didn't know know more about that stuff than <laughs> I'd ever want to know. But um, yeah, that that was that was a pretty good dress rehearsal for it. Sorry, this nonlinear conversation got no, no, it's great
1: figured this was pretty much the way it was going to go yeah. yeah
3: it's uh yeah I, i'm not i'm not the person you talk to
4: for a point-by-point
0: coherent yeah,
1: I, I was watching some of your uh con to couch videos and i noticed that's definitely the way you guys sort of not unstructured uh, conversations i guess uh, well
3: i mean if, if, if you watch some of those the best stuff comes out when you're so far off the beaten track and it's not everybody telling the same story that you know it's like Grew cobwebs, you know. You know, twenty years ago, mm-hmm. you know, it's just some blown bag, and they start telling the, you know, you know, some something that i hadn't thought about since then. Yeah, that's how um, it wasn't kind on of the couch, but it was just a random conversation. It was a photograph I found, and then I asked Paul David's, who's also on one of those, because uh, he was the guy that set us up to go over those. The other person you're asking about, Forey Ackerman, um, yeah. who yeah, Paul David set up for us to go over and see Forey Ackerman. Um, in the Acker Mansion. Okay, if Marv's house was like, you know, set from Boogie Nights, this thing was, <laughs> I don't know, like Uncle Creepy's Lair. You know, there
1: <laughs> I've, I've, I've seen pictures, so me...
3: I, I mean, there's nothing. You know, I mean, it, it just, I mean, think of who you're hearing this from. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, my <laughs> grandfather created Buck Rogers. I had met, you know, a kind of fan sort of before anybody knew they existed because they'd be always be in contact with my father and stuff like this, but I'd never <laughs> seen anything like this. I didn't know this could exist and uh yeah i mean i knew guys who really wanted to talk about the old stuff and it always just seemed kind of simultaneously cool and odd to me anyway so what happened was the first time i encountered Forey ackerman i didn't actually encounter him but dad had wanted to do some research and ray bradbury said you got to talk to Forey ackerman he knows all this stuff and so dad writes Forry Ackerman a letter, and he says, I now charge $125 an hour for consultation. I thought, that's weird to talk about, like, you know, old sci-fi serials, really? <laughs> and then later on, Ray Bradbury said, look, that's my fault. And that is, a lot of people were taking advantage of Forry Ackerman. I said, well, you got to charge for it. And Forry got a little carried away about it. You know, I mean, because just the letter. I mean, because, you know, these are, these are like guys that, you know, we're not, like, totally socially skilled. We have Corey Ackerman. Bradbury is totally socially skilled with Forey Ackerman. I mean, Bradbury, watch him on uh, – I was watching him on uh, Johnny Carson with Don Rickles. Oh, wow. Here's what was fascinating about it is – I mean, you got three geniuses sitting, uh, sitting, you know, side by side on, on couches. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about the space program. And
0: what
3: McMahon,
0: you realize, right? not, what? Is, you're talking about, Ed McMahon, too. The Ed, is he the yeah, other? I
3: wasn't on there, I don't remember him from <laughs> uh-huh. that. But it was just no, Don I'm just Don kidding, Johnny John John Carson. Google uh-huh. it and you will see what this world has lost.
4: Uh-huh. I mean,
3: all three of them were you know, space geeks at this point. Don Rickles, you know, was just in awe of the fact he was sitting next to Ray Bradbury, and it was not what you think of Don Rickles as being like. He was actually a shockingly gentle and articulate guy and very informed on space, which you wouldn't expect from Don Rickles. Mm. Uh, it's it's well received, but that also gives you a sense of what it was like talking to Bradbury and how kind of fast and, and witty he really was. Um, but, uh, sorry, this linear conversation. No, it's
0: okay. I, I, no, I'm like, worried. You're not going to charge us $125 to, to talk Yeah, to right, you. exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not
1: no, it's gone up <laughs> since then.
3: Yeah, yeah, right. yeah I'm <laughs> jacking up my, uh, my uh, stream cash. Well. So, I...
1: I, I sent the guys uh, earlier today that you had mentioned that your your first writing credit was the the further adventures of the puppy or the puppy. Oh, it
3: was an unforgettable classic. And
1: uh, <laughs> uh, I, that popped up in my YouTube feed, so I sent them a link to. I was going to post it on your Facebook page, and then I was like, I'm sure someone has already has already posted this. On no, put it put it up there. Put okay, it, I'll I'll do that after we finish today. No, you know what's funny about the pu- the puppy is uh is
3: the puppy. It's totally been forgotten by, you know, I mean, that was a semi hit show that I think Ruby Spears had on for th- two or three seasons and to be a network Saturday morning show in 1980, you know, 83, you're being watched by millions of people, but for some reason it is almost forgotten.
1: Yeah, I wasn't even aware it was a show until you had uh, talked about it.
3: Uh, it, it, that's what is a really mysterious about this. There, uh, there are, count them, zero fans for the puppy, zero. <laughs> uh, and and yet it was a big hit show. Millions and millions of kids must have watched it, but you know, they must have taken them out back and shot them after the show. <laughs> <laughs> because,
0: <laughs> yeah, who are these? I, I don't, don't remember. It
3: have a Wikipedia page. Wow. Now, or if it does, it's some and- the... What
1: the, the and the voice talent on it is is uh you know top notch the guys that you ended up working with on Transformers there's Peter Cullen and Michael Bell and uh, oh yeah. John Stevenson uh, you know I mean
3: well you saw that section in the book where I was talking about Robo Force which is my my first encounter with robots yes. and and you look at the voice talent Robo Force it was very much the voice talent we'd be working with later on in on uh, the Transformers and GI Joe. I mean, this was the A-list talent. The one thing Sunbo had, is, and I, I talk about it in the book, guys like Chris Lotta. Okay, Joe Bacall meets him in some comedy you know, review in Greenwich Village and decides he's got the coolest voice in the world. And and he became, to me, the voice that defined our properties simply because he was so different than anybody he's else. He's very
1: unique, yeah.
3: And the other thing that mattered was he was such a presence, you know, horrifying presence. But, a, I mean, I like the guy <laughs> a lot. But I mean, he was a scary kind of guy. He had to pop his teeth, front teeth in and out, you know, and have elaborate stories about how he lost his front teeth. And somebody was talking about how he was sweating all the time. I think, I think that was Greg Berger. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, I mean, he was he 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 was an incredibly edgy character, but he brought an energy to the room when he was there. But like by the time we were doing humanoids, we were recording an ensemble. We talk about that in the book, just because you have all these great actors, but they never get to work off each other. Right. And so by then we had people that were willing to just come in and be there. But, you know, the thing is we get it done fast. And we were there. We'd have, them. we'd try to get their own lines in isolation, but we'd have them stepping on each other. And it gave the show just more of its kind of frantic feel. It didn't feel like an old Anna Barbera show. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, yeah, the voice. Yeah, there was there was a retinue of of voice actors who would go through all of these shows. Who were extraordinarily talented.
0: Chris Lada, that's a. I mean, th- th- there's a great story about you bailing him out at three. Oh, in the, you he, know, getting a call right, at three in the morning.
3: Right. And stuff like, you know, and what? It <laughs> clear what he at the time was it clear what he was even in jail for? And like the police <laughs> would tell me it was all
0: yeah he said
3: jaywalking and I, yeah right it was jaywalking. i'm buying that and then uh and <laughs> what was fun, funny about it was uh I, I remember at the time thinking you know what is most of this life got guy, a guy's life be if i'm who he's calling up i mean i was not exactly you know the most together person in the universe at that moment and you know, but I was probably the only person he knew who could actually show up with 12 and could and would at three o'clock in the morning <laughs> at some police station in North Hollywood or in Hollywood. You had a sport but,
2: coat. You, you could look.
3: I had, worked, I had down. a sport coat. Yeah, right. I coat. a sport coat did it. That was the summer. Everybody else would go nameless in the story. Like five <laughs> times I was bailing people out of jail. I didn't even know <laughs> that. <laughs> You know, I mean, you know, they're just all these for.
1: So if uh, we have legal problems, we know to to come to you because you're like, I'm I'm barely even friends with this person, but all right. No, that was
3: that was when yeah, that was that was in my young days where I mean, and I lived in the same house. I just bought this house I do now where I always had people living on the floor because it's a pretty giant place for me to be living at, Mm -hmm. and so it was like this this ongoing, you know, just creative jam session. That was part of the golden age. Is you know, I mean, you're eating it, sleeping it, drinking it, but you're, you're like loving the people you're hanging around with, and they're the exact people you go out with and do stuff with. And there was a whole retinue of other people that kind of came along with it, and there were these mix and match D D, you know, Sunbow, you know, rest of the world crowd people. It was really golden. I mean, that that's why you know that's that's why I was writing it. Dave Barconi helped me a lot with it too because he was around for a lot of it.
0: That was, yeah, I mean, that was definitely, like, a moment in history, I guess, in a yeah. way, because, like, now we're all trying to sort of live that again, like, oh, I, like... No, we we
3: yeah. need to live that again. In a weird way, we're doing it right now. I mean, if, but if we got fluid enough with all the social media and Zoom and, and distance didn't matter, it's still not quite the same as actually standing around a 16-foot sand table and moving pieces around talking about... You know, some
1: usually, usually, I can see Matt's entire head, not just his from his nose up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think we lost well, him. you can almost
0: put he, play he and Matt
3: now and find a way and merge them into one person. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Let's do that. No, yeah. I mean, one thing. Yeah, during COVID and quarantine, I'm trying to just sort of recapture some some joy, you know. And I, yeah, I watch some old Transformers episodes, you know, just to get some. You know, that that element of fun that I used to have as a kid, you know, just no,
1: trying to live my life as though it's 1986 right now. Okay? <laughs> yeah, I call
3: it going 1985, but I, 1986 is probably a better term for it. And that is but I just decide, like, I don't even know where my cell phone is right now. It's somewhere upstairs. But and yes, we're sitting on, you know, I'm sitting on a Mac talking on a Zoom meeting. But there's something to not being notified and not being bothered and not, you know, mm. I mean, you know, I'm liking paper books again. I don't get like messages and notifications in the middle of my paper book and I don't have to click something away to keep reading mm. it. I don't accidentally turn a page. I mean, you know, there's like, you know, incredible advantages to that stuff. And I've done some of the best writing of my life in this period, you know, uh-huh. and, you know just uh, just because. I, you know, I can't, and I've it's done my best to stay in contact with people and, and, you know, and, and whenever possible, see them, and, you know, from 20 feet away in the backyard somewhere, <laughs> where I dropped off a bunch of stuff from the basement with Paul Dini the other day, you know, and, uh, you were standing there, literally, I'm like, you know, I'm like, you know, on the other side of his car in the driveway and he's like, you know, over there and it's like, Hey, good to see you. I'm like please least you. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh to see a way over there, but yeah. yeah, I mean, it's you gotta do something to get to get by to get through this. So uh.
3: oh yeah, you know, I'm, not, I'm just I'm just using it. I mean, you know, cleaning out the basement that that started this whole chain reaction. Well, I mean, the book just started a chain reaction, then the basement. And I'm doing a new project now for for uh, Deviation Games. They're so the guys that they're the two company heads are the guys that did uh, like Call of Duty, Black Ops games, and zombies, and all that. So it's like. It's really cool. I can't talk about the project, but it's 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 like cool to be doing right down the center of the video game business again. Mm. You when know, you're doing a you know a AAA title for the Sony PlayStation, you know that's about you know as good as it gets.
1: Nice. That's yeah. Weird. And, uh, yeah. And don't worry, you can talk about that stuff because no one listens to our podcast. Yeah, no, I sign <laughs> my MBA as I can.
0: We can't it, bail out. you out, so don't you know. Yeah
2: i i think uh, it's interesting you talk a little bit about it in, in the book and some other interviews that like you're the not really an engineer but you you have a lot of computer jobs and, and um and technology like doing the first interactive game with like a rca laser disc and stuff like yeah. that so it's 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 just great to hear um uh, like how there's a whole creative side of the video game industry uh that's not just writing code and and
3: um oh no i mean you know because i i'm not i'm not i don't write code i'm not an engineer i'm not a i'm not not a coder i not anything like that I'm, i just literally design the games and the fiction you know that go go on top of the games but yeah that started that was in uh that was in 83 you know, that we're out there, you know, John Phillips gets to deal with them, and, you know, and he says, Hey, you want to go do this? And next thing I know, we're sitting in a bar in Greenwich, Connecticut with identical twins who were that year the most expensive models in Manhattan, but happened to be Phillips's girlfriend and her sister.
4: <laughs> uh, and,
3: uh, um, and we're sitting there shooting a thing called Lounge Lizard. And, and it was actually, it's actually shockingly good. I rewatched it. <laughs> YouTube, but people get mad at me. But, uh, um, yeah, it was really, uh, you know, I, I, that's been one of the just magical things about this period. I mean, there are good things about the COVID period. I mean, any other moment I'd be bitterly complaining about it. But, I mean, there are actually have been good things about it. Oh,
0: well, that's and you've and been...
1: you got to find the good in, in all this bad
3: somehow. Right. So. Yeah, yeah there's, not a, there's not a good option around that, you know. Yeah. Oh, let's really be miserable for a year. <laughs>
0: Well, you have, it is interesting, really, your career has spanned, When you talk about the technology, you know, you talk about working on like your old, you know, computers and your your old, like, and now here you are, you're working, you worked on Pokemon as well.
1: Uh, Yeah, I had told them that I had read a tweet recently that was um, Pokemon Go was the closest thing to world peace we've achieved.
3: <laughs> well, that was the games master started while I was sitting in my friend's apartment in Paris. My family let us, my family stay there, and Pokemon was coming out. The, I think the next day, you know, and I was like, "If this fails, I don't know what happens to our company." Uh, and uh, it didn't fail. No, but, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, no. It, I mean, it did. It did really well. And that was that was a fun period doing the Geo games. was a fun period of my life. I mean, that's you know, if I live long enough, I'll write a book about that.
4: Too. <laughs>
0: well i'm sure yeah there's definitely a market for another book
2: pokemon go she her and her friends are so crazy for it like they still even in covid times you know when she drives when she's driving she's like trying to look at the phone it's like you want me to do that
3: I, and that's—I I, mean—I think you know that you know there's that—that's one of the few safe kinds of things you can do because you're 900 feet. I mean, I pretty much consider it as you're not going to get COVID, you know, outside during the day if, unless somebody sneezes down your throat. You know,
2: <laughs> I still see plenty of people out in the neighborhood on their on their walks and their their quests and in certain yeah. spots where I always see them in my neighborhood where I think there's sure. a gym nearby. <laughs> yep. Yep.
4: Yeah.
3: Yeah, so that's, you know, yeah, it's been a long career, and what's funny is, you know, you try to, like, you stay constantly doing what's happening right now, you know what I mean, or what's going to be happening next, and it's always been the idea.
0: I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty cool, though. I mean, it's, it's really interesting. There's a couple things, though, too, I want to, if we want to go back, even though, you know, it's good to. We are talking about current, but I want to go back to some of the Transformers in, in the 80s stuff, because it's a fun story. I think it's a funny story about Casey Kasem. And, and maybe it's <laughs> we're a little, you know, I know it's a little socially. Hey, Matt, bad. Matt, I only pointed
1: out Carbomia to Matt about two years ago when he got the joke. I didn't you. get it the book I
3: say anything bad about it. okay one of my roles I wrote the book is I can't say it good the truth is I couldn't really remember anything bad mm. you know what I mean I mean I just the yeah, I mean, obvious as I said I remember that period so fondly well what an anus that guy was <laughs>
0: <laughs> well I mean yeah I didn't get the car bomb you joke but of course you know back then it was definitely a, a you know a sensitive uh you know subject what,
3: what, what, what Back then, it wasn't considered sensitive to think it was a bad thing that people were blowing people up in cars.
0: I guess, yeah, yeah you're
3: right. that, that was like considered just a bad, you know, antisocial behavior it, at that. Point.
0: There
2: was a lot of there was like Dr. Demento and and like songs about Muammar Gaddafi and stuff that I remember at the time, and those were always like the most popular songs on Dr. Demento.
3: Well, the guy murdered three hundred people in Locker. Yeah, I mean,
4: yeah, Orleans, I, guess, you
2: know?
3: I mean, I
4: should say. Yeah.
3: He yeah, did. a bunch of guys in, 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 in Germany, and, and, we pretty much, and we shot down two of his planes in the Gulf of Sidra. I mean, it, it was not like anybody thought, what a great guy, that Muammar Gaddafi. <laughs> How
0: and, dare you,
3: you, know, How and, dare you and, make
0: fun of him on Transformers? But
3: Casey Kasem's problem was, and, and, and if I'm going to, you know, for two seconds, pretend to be sensitive about this, I will. And <laughs> that is, what his problem was that, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Abdul Fakadi, it's you know, basically an anagram for Gaddafi. Yeah. What I didn't understand when I wrote that is that Abdul is an Arab name and Gaddafi is, you know, a mm-hmm. Libyan name. And that's a totally mm-hmm. different thing. OK, you know, and he was upset about what was demonizing Arabs. And my attitude was I'm talking about Momar Gaddafi. I mean, you really going to defend him. I mean, okay. you know, yeah. we can we can defend. Him really in really too, splitting
4: hairs to. at this
0: point. You know? Demonizing yeah. himself. That's Come on. Yeah. Well, he was the first person
3: I ran into. And little did I know this was going to become the world I lived in where. You kinda of go out of your way to get offended so you get publicity it was it was kinda of how I felt about it.
2: Mm. Hollywood. Uh, yeah. yeah. Man.
3: No, that, but he, that was that was a precursor of what was coming. But the other thing that was kind of a butt about the guy was I remember I mean, totally before that when when you know when that was happening, I remember talking to him out in the in the green room. And, you know, because he did America's Top 40, right? And he, yeah, you know, yeah. He did America's Top we 40. All my life, it felt like I was listening to Casey Kasem, you know, like me in high school washing the car, and there's Casey Kasem on America's Top 40. I miss public music. We got to bring that back, too. The whole idea people show up with their boombox, and you're listening to whatever somebody across the street's listening to, and they're <laughs> just fine with you. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, and I was asking about it. He said, so I never really like that stuff or rock and roll. I said, You do America's top 40 and you're telling me you don't like that stuff?
1: He <laughs> you know, I mean, did that for years. He must have really been suffering. Yeah, I know, yeah, yeah right. because like, think about
2: how many things happened in the 40s, 50 years that you did that. Yeah, <laughs> <I know. laughs> you don't like music? Okay, that's weird.
0: <laughs> but but it's, I, it's it's funny the way you describe it because you say you don't ever remember turning it on but it was always on like, and I, I kind of I was like, yeah, I think that I remember watching it, but I don't remember sitting down going, Oh, I got to watch Casey Kasem now. You well, know, that, well,
3: That's it. part of what we've lost about the world. Well, part yeah. of what we've lost about the world. I mean, we've some rather pre- from prominent transformer characters or boom boxes. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what that was is that was a time when, you know, I mean, even when I was in college, everybody had the, you know, and my frat would have their stereo on at the same time. And you'd walk down the hallway and, you know, Oh, here's a Grateful Dead. Oh, here's Deep Purple. Oh, you know, here's (laughs) here's Dark and the Dominoes. My
1: Uh, my wife gets amazed at uh, how many songs I know from between the 70s and early 2000s. Stuff I would never have listened to on my own. But, you know, you had like stoner friends in high school that would be listening to certain stuff. And then metal head, you know, it's it's stuff that I... Uh, unless i'm going out to sing karaoke i never get exposed to anything in terms of music <laughs> but so. That's the
3: thing i mean i never get exposed to modern print mainly cuz everybody's listening to it on earbuds second right. of all because you know other than like movie and tv soundtracks you know uh, you know i mean it, the algorithms aren't particularly good you know uh, you know spotify does not <laughs> recommend a lot of great music to me
0: no yeah.
3: it, it either tries to give me more of what they already I've already listened to, which isn't yeah. expanding me. <laughs> or, or you know, I I'll check out Made Just for You, and then I'll hear some you know the vomitrons at three thousand decibels, and it's like who's <laughs> who thought <laughs> I said exactly what part of the DNA of that algorithm said you know it's, it's really going to want to hear the vomitrons this morning, you know.
0: <laughs> All right, so really quick because you mentioned soundtracks, we got to talk about the Transformers the movie soundtrack yeah, for a real well, quick second cool. because. I saw that part Facebook. of the book is also really fun. Yeah. Like, Vince, oh, my God. Like, God. like, yeah, talk about capturing the time. Yep. So, okay. so interesting.
3: Yeah, I was just saying. Yeah, I was just saw on Facebook that Vince Nicola had COVID. So let's all send out good thoughts for Vince.
0: Oh,
4: wow. No. Uh, the
3: soundtrack was, was one of the, uh, I, to me, I remember just going to see it, you know, because I, I, I've probably seen it five times since it came out. Yeah, I saw it once, you know, when we were doing the 20th anniversary disc. You know, I watched it the night before we did that. We did this you know, audio to Sue Blue and uh, and Nelson Chin and I did the audio soundtrack for it. You know, the, you know where you talk at, on the DVD.
0: Yeah, the commentary yeah. track.
3: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so we did that. And the night before we did that, I watched it. Then I watched it again when we did that. Then another time they had a party at the Cinegrill, which was this, basically this bar in Hollywood. So you're in, in you know, it, you know, you're in a, you're in kind of a nightclub-y bar kind of a setting. It's not a theater setting. And what struck me that time I saw it was just how how eighties it was. You know, <laughs> there were actually people walking around doing stuff, and it felt like I mean, if you want to know what the eighties sounded like, it's this Transformers soundtrack. Yeah, you put yeah. together a million other you know soundtracks, but that's really it. You know, that, uh, that sounds seriously.
1: like the ultimate place to see the movie you know, <laughs> in more of yeah. like a, a club bar type of setting.
3: Oh, yeah. it, was, it, was, it was absolutely perfect place to see it. Then I saw it at the Egyptian theater one time after that. Then I saw it at a con where, where they'd screened it. They, they, I, here's what told me the movie the movie had a fan base. And there's like 500 people in the room and I'm just supposed to be talking while I'm doing it. You know, while they're doing it, they're asking me oh. questions while we're screening the movie. It's kind of like a kind of like an interactive CD, uh, you know, DVD soundtrack.
4: Yeah. And
3: and at one point the real soundtrack broke, and so just the picture was running. You know, the speakers went out, and I couldn't talk. And the pictures were running, and the entire audience knew all the lines. I mean, was, <laughs> as I mean, it was like this, was like being a transformer church or something. It was. It was... <laughs> These guys would do
2: that. These yeah, that would have yeah. been.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I, if we were there, we would have been. Just reciting the lines along yep.
1: with them. And also in uh kind of along the lines of the soundtrack, uh have you heard of the band The Cybertronic Spree, where it's a bunch no. of people that dress up as oh, Transformers? It's like I have
3: seen videos of that, yes. Yeah. I, I and they have are,
1: Clay, Clay uh booked them for a, a show in Massachusetts here, but due to COVID uh yeah. had,
2: Well it's gonna happen next year. It still happens. <laughs>
1: but, that it, it was just the most amazing thing I had ever like I was watching I was like this is just incredible Soundwave dancing and Rumble playing the drums Rumble follows me on Instagram so that that made that made my day right there You wow. never thought
2: well, you'd hear it say that yeah. Yeah, there is there
3: is some kind of a mix I got a taste of it twice uh, both with Joe Troutman, where he had he did a thing called NerdCon, where it was it was you know basically a con that they held at an art museum and in, in Corona California. And it was the most elegant con I'd ever been to, but he had bands playing, and it wasn't it wasn't just you know six thousand decibel bands, you know, it was like these guys doing you know just just doing really fun stuff, and there were you know, there I was hearing acoustic version of the Transformer theme and things like. That. <laughs>
4: okay.
3: And then we, uh, when on the day we announced the uh, the Unicron uh, Kickstarter uh, at Comic Con last year, we did uh, a party that night, and they had like metal bands in there, and then Vince DiCola played and. Wow. Stan Bush did not come down for that.
4: But Vince oh. cola
3: played. And and it was great. I mean, it, it was, I mean, because that was the other thing. Vince cola has this prog rock feel, which was very much if you get to the heart of what what everybody that I knew at that point was listening to, that was it.
1: Yeah, he's got like <laughs> odd time signatures and stuff like that. He's really Oh yeah.
3: I mean, it's I mean, you know, probably the pinnacle of it. I mean, Transformer Soundtrack's pretty close, but You'd listen to stuff like Yes or Asia or Anderson, Wakeman, Bruford, and Howe or Mm -hmm. the parts of Genesis. It's that kind of stuff. And, well, I mean, we think about it. The other thing about the mid 80s, this is actually on topic because it's exactly at the same time we were doing this stuff, was. Probably the most prominent musical influences was, was a show called Miami Vice. Remember Miami Vice?
4: Oh, oh,
0: yeah. Of course, of course. Okay. Yeah,
3: yeah. And you think about it, the, the real voices of that, I mean, they had Glenn Fry and Don Henley showed up and all that, but the real voices of that were Phil Collins and Peter Gabriel. Mm-hmm. Remember In the Air Tonight? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, everyone, yeah, everyone air drums to that song. So.
3: Yeah, okay.
1: <laughs> Phil Collins and
3: Peter Gabriel were in the most avant-garde prog rock band in the world, which was the first iteration of Genesis in the 70s. And, and that turned into you know, so so, you know, "Lamb lies down on Broadway, you know. I mean, you know, and that or trick of the, or uh selling England by the pound. I mean, that was as far out as you can get and still be listenable music. They turn into mainstream by the 80s, and that entire uh, you know, that that drum beat you associate with the 80s was literally Phil Collins and Peter Gabriel. Somebody, their sound engineer made a mistake and he left the gate open on it. So you, the the drum basically went back backwards. Mm-hmm. They said, "This is what drums have to sound like," and that's you know you've heard it sampled in every song you've ever heard. <laughs> and and it was all now it helps that you have know, Phil Collins and Peter Gabriel sitting in the room hearing the the mistake that the sound engineer made. to go, "Oh, wait a second, that's not a that's, that's not a bug, that's a feature." Um, <laughs> yeah.
0: Wow. So you know music too you really. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we started off with football, music. I mean, we've recovered everything here. We don't there want to take it too long. There we are, and we
3: kept mostly on topic. We were
0: mostly,
3: on, <laughs> I would think so about '80s music. Anyway, all right. So back to back to what we're supposed to be
1: talking about.
0: No, uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's fine, if you want to keep going. Uh, yeah. Uh, Yo,
1: know, my favorite part of each Flint Dilly interview is where is where you say. Let me know if this is getting boring and I'll shut up.
0: But all of it matter. is
1: fascinating.
0: It is, it's all very fascinating. I mean, yeah, I've got, I think you have- uh,
1: Like there are things we haven't even touched upon. We haven't really yeah. touched upon uh, uh, working at Sunbow. We haven't talked really other than the puppy. We haven't talked about Ruby Spears. There's so much to cover, but we don't want to keep you here yeah. all day. I mean, we could listen to you
0: Sure. Right, you know, I know uh, the Chargers and Patriots game is starting pretty soon, so I don't wanna, you know, keep all right, well,
1: uh, all
3: right, So let's give ourselves ten more minutes. That's sure. not starting till one well, whatever the one o'clock is, your time. All uh, right.
0: Yeah, Matt couldn't figure but that class out class either. Class. Yeah, I was I'm really bad with time zones and I lived in LA for a little <laughs> while. Yeah.
3: Um Uh, Yeah, we'll go. Let's go. We'll go 10 more minutes. I mean, I come back. It's not like I cease to exist. No, hey, that'd
0: be be great. We'd love to have you back anytime. But uh, yeah, I mean, like, I guess.
1: I want to talk about your droid experience because I Mm. remember seeing an interview with you, like, uh, like on one of the Transformers DVDs, and you were like, I had a disastrous droid experience. And I didn't know what it was until I listened to the book, and I was like, oh, man, because we've all had that. That job where you think things are going right, and then it the the bottom falls out of it, and you're like, uh, uh well, You know, what happened? <laughs> oh, well, okay. <laughs> you, right. get to, you get to meet George Lucas and everything. I mean, that's.
3: Oh, okay. Imagine, yeah, and I think I pretty much say this in the book, but I mean, you know, just you know, imagine, you know, you're you're writing the puppy in the Badlands, and you're doing Mister T, and you know, things are going really well writing animation. But you get a job working for George Lucas, and it's not just you know, this is right after Return of the Jedi coming out. Come out, it's. It, I literally started working the weekend that, uh, um, well, actually, right before uh, that Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom came out. Okay, George Lucas had never made a mistake until that point, uh, and I remember seeing Temple of Doom and thinking, ooh. You know, you know, George and Steven <laughs> are having their best day. Now, looking back, that's a better movie than than I thought it was at the time. But nothing could have been as good as what I was hoping for, right? I mean, they, you know, that Raiders Lost Ark is still one of my all time favorite films.
0: Same, absolutely.
3: Film. It's absolutely. on the A list with a bullet. So anyway, so you're showing up at Lucasfilm, and like, you know, you you, you drive up, you know, the uh, that literally his producer, Mickey Herman, was a very nice woman who uh, would she did like sound checks for their stuff. But she got to produce the Saturday morning cartoon. And like, I'm doing a Star Wars Saturday I, I get to like write Star Wars characters. You know. <laughs> and I get, you know, we drive up to the ranch. Lucas has a ranch up in somewhere long way away from San Francisco. You know, probably an hour north of San Francisco. That's my recollection. I'm it may only 40 minutes. But I mean it's it's a tough and you go down the secret road and then you come up with this thing, and it was my first experience really with dealing with you know kind of a security environment and you know that i was at the apex of hollywood at that moment you know just walking in there and just wow look at this you know and yeah you know, i mean I, I i sort of knew what to expect with him because i you know i had classes from john millius and and yeah i knew randy kleiser and and uh yeah other people in his screenwriting class so i knew kind of what that that vintage of USC because I went to SC film school, you know, probably a decade after you did. But no, yeah, about that. Uh, but uh, you know, so I, I, I knew I knew the vibe and I knew the feel of, of what it was going to be. But still, I mean, you know, there was Paul Dini and Art Cooper, and um, um, you know, and we go up there and we're in we're an Oz. I mean, that's that's the best way you can describe it. Is I mean, we're in an Oz. I and mean, even being led to his office, you go down this mysterious set of things you're going indoors and outdoors and you know and finally you end up in a room and there's a real george lucas sitting there and and remember this is like you know he was like really george lucas then you know i mean he's you know i mean you know he looked exactly like he was supposed to look and be george (laughs) lucas and uh yeah because like you know rock bands you know what i mean it's like you know keith richard of you know of gimme shelter is very different than keith richard now i mean he's endlessly yeah Yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, so you, you know, I mean, you, at the apex of everything, you got the shot in the world, you think, you know, everything's going to be clear sailing for the entire rest of your life, and you'll never have a problem again, and then it doesn't work out that way. I and mean, we just could not get the Bible for droids approved. And, and, you know, Mickey finally said, look, you know, this just isn't working. And so it's like, I come back to LA, and it's like, you know, you know, you have to, you have to, I th- you know. You know, I thought I'd have to explain to everybody what happened. I thought my career was over. You know, I thought, oh man, my big shot, and I failed, and and you know, and that's that's like a down moment. I mean, it was a roller coaster ride. It was a very fast ride because I was probably only there for six months. So you- <laughs>
1: well, it seems like it probably worked out for the best. Droids wasn't a great show, and it right. uh, well, you know, I, I, seemed okay, to have worked it, out pretty it, well for you. <laughs> I worked the Mandalorian.
4: Yeah, well, oddly
3: enough, okay, I found the Bible for that show, and it's not that far from Mandalorian. That was the other really weird thing about it, is, you know, I mean, it's not Mandalorian, but I mean, it it, it, it was one of those few things where we we were totally off the beaten track of the regular Star Wars mythology, and we were telling stories about the droids before they met Luke Skywalker. And so you had you invented your own hero, and you had your own adventures, and you're you're living in this kind of world. We couldn't use any of the characters except the droids. And I remember I I remember Paul Dini, who was who was kind of quicker on the uptake than I was. You know, wanted to use Boba Fett. I remember George Lucas saying, "Yeah, he's our best selling action figure," but not really understanding why. You know, (laughs) and Boba Fett of the of the first three movies really is the model for the Mandalorian.
0: Right, and yeah.
3: then he's this masked guy who can go on a bunch of adventures uh, that have nothing to do with the main circuit cable, of the story. It's a funny story, but yeah. And then later on, Paul told me, and you know, I asked him recently. I said, "Did you? Did he really say that, or you just trying to make me feel good?" And he said, "No, he really said that." And, you know, Lucas had said whatever the guy that had all the good ideas. And
1: <laughs> so, so,
3: and then Lucas so
1: who was told, stopping all the good ideas in the yeah, end? Do you have any yeah, idea? Yeah. Was it? Uh, I think it
3: was, uh, you know, uh, there was not, there's not a villain in the story, you know, you know, I think that mix
1: up in communications or something. Yeah, I I think, I think it would
3: come under the general heading mix up in communications and, you know, and just a producer who had never really done that before and didn't really know how to understand notes. And just uh, they were binary as opposed to, you know. I have you know.
1: editors like that. I guess
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just happens. I mean, it was a real lesson, you know. And you're, you're right. You know, yeah, it, it didn't work out that, that well for the show. And maybe I learned something about robots that, uh, that helped me out with Transformers later on. But, yeah, <laughs> when I walked away from that, I'm, I'm never doing robots again. I'm done with robots. <laughs> a year later, I'm sitting there with Optimus. Uh, but the, uh, and then George Lucas recommended me to Steven for three years later. And that's oh, why so they, that. they called them to get a, get, you know, to get a recommendation and he gave it apparently. So,
1: wow.
3: It's one of those, but that's one of those life lesson stories where you have this horrible disaster and you think it's over and it's actually the best thing that ever happened to you. Right. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, on one hand, and then a, on another hand, Things have a funny habit of atoning and fixing themselves later on. That's why. That's why I realized that you know the Joseph Campbell thing because it was relevant to the book, because George Lucas actually handed me a copy of The uh, Hero you know, of a Thousand Faces <laughs> in the meeting, right. and that you know, that's a good theme for this book because it really was a story of a writer's you know, journey. <laughs>
0: Uh, Yeah, well, there's a lot of parts of the book. I think, like Clay said at the beginning, that it's not just—it's not just like, oh, this is fun stuff that happened. But like, there's some great sort of inspirational stories, and like you said, like it's it's a good lesson there, like how things can seem like this is, this was my shot and I blew it and it's over. But everything worked out, and
3: uh, it just does. You just have to keep going. You know what I mean? Because it—it's not like it ever stops happening. You have horrible things happen to you. And it's, it's all how you deal with them, you know, that, you know, and, and, you know, and, and it's all how you use COVID, you know, <laughs> how, you know, this basically sucked me in your house for a year. Okay. That's, you know, that's, that looks a lot like house arrest to me, but, uh, you know, and, and, uh, yeah, you know, we're somehow getting through it. And yeah,
4: I have, I have
1: I've been effort. working at home for the last 10 years and I had so many people contacting me going, okay, how, how do, you do you do this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, no, it's it's, it's absolutely true. And then the truth is, on a day-to-day level, this is pretty much how my life always has been. You know, I'm I'm a writer who works at home. However, yeah, that would be punctuated by going to meetings, going to lunches, and going out and doing stuff, you know? Yeah, I
1: mean, as I said, the biggest difference was now I can't go to the gym, and I, it's like more of a production to go to the, the grocery store.
3: Yeah, I got really lucky with the gym. I probably lifted more weight in this period than uh, yeah. because... I got a trainer who works in a park in Barrington, you know, in Brentwood. And uh, um, so I lift weights like, you know, three times a week and, you know, and and do it with enthusiasm. I've never done it before because it's like the only time I get to go outside and do that kind of stuff. (laughs) That's great.
0: All right, there's one more thing I want to I wanna get to before we let you go, but uh, there's a part of the book, and I guess it didn't really dawn on me, but you were talking about the potential for crossovers between the properties you're working on, and Hector oh, Ramirez. I, I
1: wanted like, to talk about that, too. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for saying this.
0: Uh, I, I I don't even know how—I don't know if I remembered that from the 80s. I don't think so, but, I mean, I thought that—I was like, oh, my God, Hector Ramirez was the only guy who, of course, was Harado, Geraldo Rivera and everything. I mean, oh. obviously, I didn't get that as a kid, but— like well, a
3: journalist, I mean, what it was was a journalist, and that's that says a lot about what media was like then. Because remember, cable TV was new, and we were a product of it. We were syndicated TV, and and a lot of that showed on cable or on off-brand, you know, network. And we did, you know, we weren't a network show, is what I'm trying to say, right? And 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 Geraldo Rivera was the same thing. He had this big debacle where they they hyped the hell out of he's opening up this. Al Capone's yeah. vault, you know, and that, you know, that. we yeah. thought they were going to find, you know, the the lost treasures of the Inca in there or something, but the, <laughs> in fact, what they found was that Bob oh, bottles yeah. was rolling out. Yeah. It was, it was a big <laughs> embarrassment. And should have been a career-ending injury for Geraldo de Vera, Rivera, and you can still see him to this day on Fox. <laughs>
4: yeah, right.
1: <there's laughs> there you go. See? He's yeah. another one that took a bad experience. Yeah. It overcame
3: <laughs> But the one thing, and that's the really, there's your lesson for for, you know, for television is the one thing that crosses over, you know, is, is stuff like a service person. I mean, you know, Hector, a, a reporter can be in all of our shows because we thought of them as all one shared world, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know? And so Hector Ramirez can be in GI Joe. He can be in the humanoids. He can be in jam. He can be in, uh, in, uh, transformers. He shot, he was in all those shows. It's, you know? it's,
0: it's pretty amazing. There was that one episode that Cobra commander was in the, in, yeah, yeah, that one. Because
3: well, we, remember, the, the exact same people are doing the the these shows at the exact same time, and it all blurs together. Marissa Fairborn being, you know, Flint and Lady J's daughter being in Transformers, right? right.
0: You know? I mean, I guess I didn't put that together either, but yeah, that's like, I mean, it, yeah. so it, it. But there was never like a major like crossover, and I don't know. Like, I feel like yeah, now.
3: Probably, want to do that that you know that's not the way franchises worked back then and the idea of crossovers i mean here's the thing is that other than doing a green hornet and batman crossover you know, on the batman tv show in what 66 67 whatever year that was and uh um in comic books there there weren't such thing as crossovers every once in a while there would do something you know i mean maybe you know i, I don't know you know Barry tyler moore shows lou grant would show up or mary tyler moore yeah. show up or lou Grant episode or something weird like that but that wasn't the way people thought only in comics but it happened we were all thinking that way at that moment and we were thinking in different ways because the comics guys showed up mm-hmm. that's why we thought you know our shows all had some sense of continuity by the time we get to it, in humanoids and visionaries they were continuity Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were mo- very modern TV. You know, like streaming shows right now. I mean, you can run them now. Mm-hmm. You know, the plots all led one led to the other, and there are references back to things. We tried to keep them self-contained, um, mm-hmm. but you know, they were very modern, and that was <clears throat> that wasn't really something I, I, I grabbed. I grabbed onto it and, gra- and you know and loved it, but that was really something the comic book guys brought. Mm-hmm. What I brought being the only game guy in the business I just, this stuff has to make sense. You know, I mean, let's just, you know, let's just, let's just think about this with world building is probably the way of what you describe it as. Right.
0: Right. Well, I think you were ahead of the times really, because yeah, now, cinematic universes
1: yeah. are all the rage now. They'd right. probably be encouraging that these days.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: But,
3: yeah, yeah and, it. you know, and, and, we, you know, to what extent we could, we did do that. You well, know, they weren't nearly as, you look at the first season Transformers, it's very episodic.
0: You go to right. third
3: season, and it's very, you know, continuity.
0: Uh, well, I mean, it was, every little thing we could have to talk about on the playground was cool with me. It's like, oh, did you see that? So, uh, but yeah, now I think you were ahead of your time, and we could probably close on that. But thank All you so guys. much for coming on.
3: Well, thanks for having me. This is fun.
0: Let's do one final plug. Would you ever even plug? The, the title of the book is The Games Master, uh, My Life in the 80s Geek Culture, Trenches with G.I. Joe, Dungeons and Dragons, and the Transformers.
4: And, there of course,
0: are. there you go. And check out your auctions, I, I, right? I mean, how do we Yeah, yeah.
3: I believe they're, uh, okay, my friend John Platten, who I did a lot of games with and, and still do stuff with, uh, is a is an eBay expert. And so when I decided. Yeah, one
2: of
0: those
3: yeah. too. I'm, I'm, I'm,
2: I'm not an
0: expert, but okay.
3: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, he, so he decided he would sell all the stuff. His name is Hannah Vachel, H-A-N-A-V-A-C-H-E-L uh, on on eBay. Um, but they're gonna post him on my Facebook page. He always posts on the Facebook page because okay. people get mad at me. You know, it's like it, it, I mean, originally, you know, people want to make deals and buy stuff, and I realized the only fair way to do this is just. You put it out there, mm-hmm. um, and uh, uh, so uh, you know that it's it's it. I believe it's going up around now. It might already be up. I'll, here, I'll check my Facebook page and see right now. <laughs> we will find out. Of course, by the time you run this, it'll be really old news. But
0: I'll try to get this out yeah, as I'll soon as possible. Yeah, yeah, I'll get okay, it out. Great. Right. Well, and
3: when you do post it on post on my page, now
0: I'm not seeing
3: auctions up here, so they're they're not up yet.
0: Okay, good. So we we haven't so missed
1: it. Watch for these auctions.
0: Yeah, All right. so, that's what we'll do. I'll yeah, try to find <laughs> it.
3: playing in the basement in that part of the part of the show, we never uh, we never finished talking about. But with, <laughs> I'll come back if you want to hear more about that. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely
0: anytime we you know we would love to have you on we love the stories and uh yeah it's,
1: it's we've uh, we've great. extended an invite out to buzz dixon as well so and he accepted oh, yeah. so is there is oh, there yeah. anything yeah, that I, we should ask him or avoid before you talk to <laughs> doug booth he's also
3: on my facebook page knows this stuff ron friedman's there
4: uh-huh. yeah he's, he's
3: an entertaining entertaining thing he makes me look like sedate um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, Ron, Michael Charles Hill, he'll sometimes come, he sometimes won't, you know. And, uh, you know, um, and Marv is on, is on there. So you get those guys, you got everybody.
4: <laughs> That's
3: great. Go. I mean, Marv morphed into one of the best game writers in the world. I mean, it's uh, what an extraordinarily talented guy. He is. I mean, all these guys. And Paul uh, Dean, we want to talk about Lucasfilm stuff. He can tell you he he didn't get fired. He didn't have anything brutal happen, uh, and he's playing <laughs> you know, Transformers and Joes and Gems and Lord knows what else in that period. So uh, you know, guy got to get out.
2: I, I like how all these people, uh, including yourself, are are continuing to put out really great product. Like I love Mars Comics and and uh, and Paul's too, and, and all the stuff you guys are working. And my my girlfriend, she's a gamer, so she's played. She's played
3: like half of your video games for sure. Well, you, you want to keep going, right? You know, you gotta, <laughs> yes. yeah. What'd you do after 80 after you got done with Visionary? Well, let's see. I was selling vacuum cleaners in Bolivia for a while. Then, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want to, as long as the creative juices are still there, you got to, you got to oh, keep, gotta
3: keep going. going. Now, as I said, I think I've done the best stuff I've probably ever done just in this COVID period because not much stopping me.
0: There you go. There you go. Well thanks so much, Flint. Uh, we'll let you go watch some football. Today. All right. Coming on. We're gonna yes, thank you. We're gonna put a link to the Gamesmaster on our on our page.
1: And I'll link to the puppy on your page. Yeah, right. <laughs> links to the puppy and links to this on my page. Yes. Excellent, yes,
0: we man. will. Thank we'll you, send you link. Thank All you so right. much Have a good one.
3: That guy falls off the tree totally unique.